This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Miguel Professor Ram Yaku helps us understand the law of space and what the next space race could look like, and maybe we're in it right now. Steve Stebbing is back after a week off with a review of Gran Turismo and more on what the hell should we watch this weekend. Plus, are you okay with good timing? What about chew toys? And more. All of this is on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, we've seen private companies go to space, partnerships that we've never seen before. Uh, Seems to be the hobby of all the billionaires. Do we have a new space race? Well, I think that's evident that we have a race for profit or profitability. That's for sure. But I'm not sure that we actually have a space race, or maybe we do. We, uh, I mean, I think it was India just landed on the moon and went for a drive. So joining us now as a very special guest from McGill, Professor Ram uh, Jakhu, is here with us, uh, space guy, uh, proudly a space nerd, sir. <laughs> do we have a space race or a profit race? Uh, I think both. Both. Um, but... There are some some points of the space race is essentially I would say basically basically perceived by United States with China, that I will call space race. Second thing is profit race is also mainly with respect to um, American companies. Um, there are some Europeans and Japanese, uh, sure Russians and now Indians might be there, but I don't think that's the very much economic race yet. Um, so profit race basically within the US, US companies, and internationally between US and China. So that's what is going on. Um, now I'm speculating a lot. It's naive of me. But at the same time, are we seeing because in the 60s it was a race for space, right? It was sort of the um the spectacle of space, the optics of space conquering the unknown but today boy the military sure runs on space doesn't it um are are we looking at are we being disguised in this and what's really going on uh first thing is your uh, description of race in 60s 70s is accurate um and secondly today i think military is dominating uh not with respect to moon and other planets but in, in, I would say in orbit around the Earth, um, you know, nuclear, sorry, some kind of weapons are being tested, some kind of test, you know, new weapons are being developed, um, manuals for white fighting war in space are being written, uh, games, war games are being conducted, and uh, that is a kind of um, race, or competition or preparations for war are going on. Um, so it's a military uh, efforts for military dominance. The reason for that is it is perceived rightly to some wrongly that whosoever controls space controls the earth. Um, I, I say to some extent, because it could be who controls earth could also control space. So, so one cannot say only space controls the earth. 
the reason why I asked the question is actually Ukraine with um, uh, Star, Sky, Starlink, whatever Elon Musk's internet is. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there was, a, as there always seems to be with that guy, some in public politicking and about the cost of providing internet to Russian, or excuse me, to Ukrainian forces on the ground. Um, it's so to me, even though that, you know, for a Canadian farmer or an RVer to have internet, no matter where they go out, rural access to high-speed internet is incredibly important. It seems the real money comes from not the farmer who's paying $150 to have satellite internet. It seems to be that the real money's coming from the government when you need internet coverage in the middle of the battlefield. And so we're getting sold this retail internet scenario when in the business design in the background is this military solution. So is that kind of, that's kind of why I asked the question, is that what we're seeing here that there's this whole level of, you know, really big international contract stuff going on in space? That's why there's a big fight for the profit or fight to access? Again, it's your record. Uh, it's a big money. And that's why billionaires are in the front line. And that's what they're going to. A military, as you know, um, generally have deep pockets, or the governments have deep pockets for the military. Uh, and, and much uh, uh, contracts are being given for design, development of systems, and also purchase of services. And, and the cost of purchase of services go high uh, when the supply is limited and demand is high, right? So it's, as you said, in the middle of war, um, the cost uh, of uh, purchasing services from the uh, so-called, I would say, mainly civilian system um, goes high. So that's what it, it's a big money. Um, it is, it, that's what it's, what it's all about. I mean, you know, I will say, I shouldn't say all about, but there is also the geopolitical reasons for that also, which you mentioned earlier, kind of dominance in, in space. Now, this is fantasy in my mind, but I imagine if we ever got into, you know, serious world war scenarios, we would almost see more rockets going up into space than we would landing on cities, at least at first to take away the networks, to take away the access, the ability to see other countries and launch and control drones and all those bits and pieces. Again, that's fantasy in my imagination. At the same time, though, you know, are there any laws around that? Not that anybody respects really laws during war. So what, um, what do you see going on there? Because space policy is a big part of what you do. Uh, but again, your explanation, it is what you said is not fantasy, at least in my view. What I read, what I know, uh, I, I must say that my knowledge is essentially what is published. I do not know what is going on behind the closed doors. Right. Uh, and that's it. But my knowledge over a period of 40 years, I've seen uh, the governments, uh, private companies are really uh, getting into that kind of scenarios. Um, now, sometimes the US officials uh, also proposed that perhaps U.S. should uh, should uh, make public kind of space weapons, the government has it. Now, that tells me, it, it did not happen. That tells me 
there are space weapons with the U.S. government, and I will strongly assume that other governments like China, Russia may have space weapons in, in that. Otherwise, why would you propose to make it public, right? So that is the kind of things is going on. Um, so I will say that uh, naturally, whatever know about you know war operations, naturally. Um, governments or the armed forces generally try to strike the sources of information or the capabilities of your enemies. And, and again, you are right uh, that uh, anybody who is fighting will try to knock down the means of communications, means of reconnaissance, um, and a means of delivery of weapons. They are essentially, um, at least with respect to the United States, and some other developed countries, uh, or China in and that way, are in space. So that is what what one can, I will say, assume with some accuracy of some confidence. You know, confidence. Um, the the other point you mentioned about law, there are laws in in force. Uh, one must keep in mind outer space is not uh, wild west. It is said, it perceived, uh, sadly, by some responsible people also in the governments, uh, which is, which is, say, the uh, outer space is wild west. You can do whatever you want to do that. Uh, that is not true. The laws are in force. They have been, so they are in place, and they have been so far respected. Uh, I think primarily because there has not been very, very serious or there not been any conflict. Um, it remains to be seen whether these laws will be respected in period of you know, conflict. Um, again, the history shows the governments, sadly, uh, do not truly really respect the law when they are at war. Um, but there are rules of war. Um, they're called laws of armed conflict, for example, uh, international material law, uh, which had been placed uh, in there. Um, but my hope is the governments will respect those laws. So again, I'm learning in this conversation that my imagination runs pretty wild. If So James Webb, is a great example. And this is a hypothetical. This is not factually true, but I'm going to pretend. Mm -hmm. James Webb has gone way out to the outer reaches past Earth to like a parking lot. <laughs> and it's agreed upon like this place where James Webb has put itself because it actually has a name. And it's taking these beautiful pictures that we're seeing um, that are coming back and getting colorized so we can see them and all that stuff. If for any reason, another country uh, uh, North Korea or a, even in India or China. I mean, our relationship with India, I think is very good. Um, but a China, um, you never know, believes we're to come to believe that hidden inside James Webb telescope, even though it's taking all those beautiful pictures out in space, there's one little piece of it. That's actually spying on someone else on earth, spying on another country. There is no credential, um, example of law that if china decided to send up another satellite and then they boom blew it up because they're like well yeah but you're spying on us with it. it wasn't only taking pictures 
And there's no, there's no example of how to deal with that. I mean, there's the Hague for war crimes and all those bits and pieces. Or maybe there is a way to deal with that. We really have no idea. I would hope the governments would have a bit of an idea on how they were spying on each other through space or hiding satellite bits inside other satellite bits and, and calling it a TV satellite or whatever. But that can't be too far from fantasy to think that those things are going on hidden in, in everyday, what we would call everyday devices floating around in space. Um, I think they are um, floating around. Um, my, my view is, which is perhaps not shared by others, um, humans are behaving or will be behaving uh, in space the way humans have been doing on Earth. I don't think space provides a, a, a place of sanctuary that, you know, uh, bad guy becomes good guy in space or vice versa. Um, so if we do it on Earth, we will be doing it in space. Now, coming back to the point that a, a, a device or subsystem or small thing which is doing going spying on a thing, that is fine. Spying is not prohibited. It's not illegal. Uh, the governments have been doing, and it is permitted by law. Uh, but in case you go and smash somebody's uh, satellite, which you perceive is spying on, you will be actually using um, force. And that would be a declaration of war or an act of war or use of force. So that is very clear. Uh, what happens after that, again, as you said, whether you go to Hague for ICJ, International Court of Justice this season, or you shoot more missiles, those things are there. But yeah. the current state of law is that spying is legal and anybody is entitled to carry on that if you do it. Um, that you will be committing an international um, act, which is a prohibitor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that means if you do that, the other party, victim, in case we call it the victim state, has a right of self-defense, right? And, and that it can do you know, whatever it wants to, to do that. No precedent. That was the word I was seeking uh, earlier in my head. Couldn't find it. Okay, so let's talk colonialism here. Um, and, you know, space and law. I, I personally find it ironic, and maybe that's unfair. But here on Earth today, we talk about colonialism, the impacts of colonialism. We talk about certain countries and cultures being able to be released of, uh, you know, the colonial influence. And, and some countries are stepping away from the colonial influence from all kinds of those European countries that were doing exactly that. Yet here we are. In the same sentence, saying, let's go to Mars and take it over. It doesn't escape me that we are exactly repeating the past <laughs> by doing what we're doing and um, and going out and taking over places that, you know, that, that we aren't currently at. Now, I don't mean to be inflammatory and pick a fight where there is no fight. But how is it that that gets sorted out when one country might say, well, we were there first, and the other country might say, nope, you weren't there first, we were there first? Uh, again, um, I am with you. I have been saying it all that. This is a repetition of the uh, activities uh, or 
kind of uh, policies and actions of colonialization. Uh, we stop, I will say, I believe or I hope um, that colonization on Earth is stopped somewhat, uh, which I don't really believe. Colonization on Earth is still going on, but we have started in space. And, and I, I can, my concern is colonization space is going to be much more damaging uh, to people on Earth than the colonization we have seen in the past uh, for the following reasons. The reason is that whatever you do in space will have impact on Earth and that will not spare anybody. Take the example of uh, uh, of testing of nuclear device, for example, uh, or you want to uh, do mining with using some kind of uh, uh, nuclear, you know, devices, uh, or you are have doing some their accident in in in, in say around the moon, uh, and that debris will be around the moon coming to you know effect. If you are carrying on fairly big. Uh, machines, rockets, and they collide on the way to moon, uh, and, and that will create more debris, and that will be circling around around the, the Earth, okay? That's one side. The second is colonization in space is because most of the people will not be in a position to see what is happening, who is doing what. It will not be easy for people to criticize or question anybody who is doing that. Take the example, the junk, um, the, the countries like the United States, Russia, China, um, and, and now India, um, and the US, of course, have been leaving the stuff on these planets. And nobody knows what impact these earthly things are going to have on the, the atmosphere, on the whatever the, the environment is, is going to be there. What was kind of things here? There could be release of some kind of bacteria, which is going to be dangerous on, on, on those planets. And also coming, bringing these, uh, some kind of bacteria to, to Earth. Uh, so, and especially if you send people, uh, and people will have it their own uh, biological issues or chemical issues or, or spreading some kind of bacteria, what will happen to, to those, those, you know, uh, that stuff which is left there or discarded there or which is brought to, to that. So I'm just starting the, the starting time and we do not have very solid standards uh, or laws and policies. There are some kind of guidelines uh, established by a committee, international committee, called COSPAR, uh, but they, it is left to the, the governments to follow them or not to follow them. Uh, so that is the danger. The third, if I can add, is really, if you are in a position to say, reach the Mars, and you say, well, Mars belongs to me. Uh, you know, uh, what, what others can do? You know, they say, uh, Elon Musk is on the record saying the in that international law does not apply to Mars. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I look, this is fascinating. I, I think this is an incredible conversation for us because we don't think about this. And to your point about leaving rovers parked on places, last time I checked, the military is not keen on leaving technology lying around for other people to find either. 
usually in some fashion. We already have learned that there is some sort of self-destruct that happens, whether the computer melts down, the core melts down, the, it it blows up its its programming. So America leaves a um, a rover on the moon. India shows up. They go for a walk on the moon. They find the rover. They can't just go steal the technology, right? Um, those kinds of things are are real life in the military. So I have a hard time believing that they would just leave a rover up there with the keys in it, if you will, for someone else to take it for a spin when they get there. Um, so again, about some sort of standard, as you described, of what goes on in space. And that's a very simplistic view versus even looking at Mars and water and slaves and all the other things that, that could come of it. We don't, we haven't come very far in some ways, have we, sir? No, I don't think we call ourselves civilized. I don't think we are civilized. I would agree. Sad thing is to me, is really, maybe I have been too long in this area. Um, I am becoming um, pessimistic. As you know, all pessimists were born optimists. It's the experience which makes them pessimists. I think the way we are doing is, I'm just comparing the laws which were adopted in the 60s and 70s yeah. are being discarded, are simply discarded. There was a multilateralism you know, approach in the 60s and very well done. But now the unilateralism, you know, countries just don't care. Uh, and there's a unilateral nationalistic interpretation of the laws which were adopted uh, in, in the 60s. Um, so that is, to me, is is a wrong is a trend in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think as we all going together, the players are becoming uh, numerous, uh, and, and to me, there's a need more laws. For example, if you and I are the only drivers or you know driving car on the road, perhaps you can say, okay, let's drive on the right side. Stop, stop sign. That's good enough. But if you have you know, 10,000 cars, people driving there, you need more specific laws or regulation of drug coming. Yeah. So I think I think the trend has been not dealing with laws or not discussing the laws and coming with some kind of a MOUs or, or, or kind of non-binding understanding. So the treaties are not being developed. Uh, it is, it's just the opposite. But the, the players, number of players and activities are expanding. Mm. And the laws are being not being produced to, to keep up with that development. Well, I would go to add to that. I mean, you're you're the space guy. I'm a word guy. Um, a, the word agreement is is what civilization is. Civilization is an agreement. It's a series of agreements. In fact, it, to go as far as uh, our communication today, you know, language, all of these words we say, these words are actually individually a series of agreements. We agree that space means this. We agree that a rocket means that. That's a series of agreements. And if we can't have agreements, we don't have civilization. We don't have communication. We don't have civilization. So without those agreements, they don't um, exist at all. And in fact, um, to add to that, something we talk about here on the show all the time is, is the distinction between capitalism and greed. And so many people say capitalism is terrible. Capitalism has brought us everything that we have in our world today that helps us be able to have access to food and water and all the things. Greed, on the other hand, is distinctly separate from capitalism. They might dance together because some people do it under the disguise of it, but a greedy person wants more always, regardless if they're selling it or not. 
And so we need to keep in mind, especially in this conversation, how this translates to space. There's a difference between being a capitalist and wanting to grow and develop and learn and make some money at the same time than there is greed and to want to take it all. And I think that that's, um, that's very telling. That's how I hear it anyway, from what you're saying. And I think it's very, very telling for us to look at what's going on in space. It's, it's a, I don't want to be uh, too space pun, but it's a, it's, it's a pretty big, dark conversation, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, but I, I, you know, humans need to have agreement. doesn't matter what form. Uh, I obviously agreement in family. Yeah, or at least even disagreement for that matter. Yeah, but sure. It's a beautiful conversation from McGill University, space, law, all things that are going on. Ram, Jack, who, uh, thank you for this. Um, very insightful. Thank you very much for having me. This is The Shift Podcast. And it's time to talk about the TV after a... Uh, after a week off, and we failed miserably at trying to do his job last week, Steve Stebbing is back. He was supposed to be gone on sabbatical for six months, but we were so terrible last week, he decided to cut his sabbatical from six months to one week to save the day. Hi, Steve. Yeah, I came rushing back. I did. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> no problem. Well, the AV Club. See you. It is good to see you. Welcome back. The AV Club, while you were gone, we flipped it on its ear a little bit, and we asked the shift heads in advance in the Facebook group, what should we watch? Right, like, what do you recommend that we should watch? So the shift heads actually did your job while you were gone, nice. and we took a handful of those examples, got some clips and trailers, and we shared those. And then we took from that list with the tiny wheel and spun it. What was the outcome of that? Uh, Star Trek. So we'll get to that shortly. But first, you have a brand new professional list for us to go through. We're very excited. Let's uh, get started with Gran Turismo. The ten of you are the best. Gran Turismo players in the world. Now is your chance to race real cars. This is insane. It's not gonna work. The guys who race are elite athletes. Your kids are scrawny little gamer kids. That's where you come in. All right. Scrawny yeah. little gamers. Was it good? Yeah. It, you know, I, I had kind of like a mid-bar set for this one because um, the whole idea of a, you know, PlayStation made movie. We have seen a, a production of this because Uncharted was a, was one of these PlayStation movies as well. But Gran Turismo felt like, how do you really make a movie out of Gran Turismo? But what they did is they took uh, a true story of uh, Nissan basically putting together a race team uh made out of uh made out of gamers that that had excelled to the highest level gran turismo 7 for the ps5 and uh the the guy that was that ended up at the top of the pile was uh yan martinborough uh played by archie medequi in this film um who lives the ultimate dream of a gamer becoming a racer kind of um finding his path unconventionally and Neil Blomkamp, uh, South African and Canadian director, um, makes a really great race film in this because every piece of the, the racing is so exciting and so you feel so in it uh, for those scenes. But also 
all of the uh, all of the scenes with with uh, with Yan and and uh, you know the 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 pit boss uh, David Harbor in this one and uh, Orlando Bloom's character, all of it works and all of the the emotional beats hit in this one, and I for me this is going to be one of those underrated films because I think it's it, it, critically and everything is not being represented well right now, but. I really dug this film and it really is a theater race movie and probably one of the better race films out there. Hmm. I do like race films. That's one thing. And you know what even gets better for me when there's a heist and a race after the heist, you know? Oh, Logan lucky. Yeah. 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 I like that. Well done. Okay. Uh, Steve Stebbings here at stevestebbing.ca. I know very creative domain for Steve when he was thinking about what to call it. Um, next on the list, dreaming wild. Great to meet you. I wanted to talk to you about this. There it is. It's Raymond Wild. That's you guys? Yeah, that's us. This album is unbelievable. Truly. It really just blew my mind. How did you do it? All right, tell us what. It's very big yeah, blew more, my mind, apparently. Yeah. More true stories here, because uh, this one's about... A singer and a songwriter in a small in a small town named Donnie Emerson, who he and his brother record this album when they're teenagers uh, called Dreamin' Wild. And it, they have all the big promises of, of records X and everything. And this, uh, the album never goes anywhere. So fast forward decades later, the Internet has picked up this album and it's kind of made it a, a, a post like a post success years later. But uh, now the brother uh, or Donnie Emerson is now older, played by Casey Affleck. His brother is Walton Goggins. And they've kind of like he's still writing music, but he has that rust and that jadedness from everything that went before. So he's kind of unbelieving of this new success and also spurned to write new stuff and and uh, maybe make something out of this opportunity. And this is an actor's film uh, to the core because uh, Affleck's really, really great in this one. Walton Goggins is always doing great work. Even if it's not a great movie, he's always doing great work. Um, and then the younger versions of them played by Noah Jupe and uh, Jack Dylan Grazer are also really, really good. And so there's two kind of sides to this film that really mesh very well together. Um, and it also has Bo Bridges as their dad. And I adore Bo Bridges. And I feel like I haven't seen him anything in a really long time. So it was really endearing to see him on screen again. And it's just kind of one of those feel good films. Ben Affleck. Casey. Good actor, bad actor. Oh, was that Casey ben? Affleck? Casey is in this one. I really, really oh, like Casey. Great. I think I think Casey might be the better actor. Um, yeah. But Ben is a damn good director, and we saw that very recently okay. this year. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, yeah, I was always wondering, like Ben Affleck. Yeah, is that a thing? You know, Casey Affleck. No, great. I got you there. Okay. Um, you are so not invited to my bar mitzvah. My bar mitzvah determines the rest of my life. If I have a kick-ass party, doors would open. And I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. La, 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 la. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Yeah, it's another Adam Sandler Netflix movie. Um, but this movie is way different than anything he's done for this streaming service before, because this one is really 
um, centric to his family because Adam Sandler is not the main character in this one. It is uh, it is Sonny Sandler, his daughter is the main character playing uh, Stacy in this film. Um, and even his wife, Jackie Sandler, plays uh, one of the moms in this film as well. But they kind of take a back seat because this is this is Sonny's film. And uh, she is one of the two leads, Stacy and Lydia, who are BFFs dreaming of the greatest epic bat mitzvah that anybody has ever had. And everything that goes comic comedically wrong in that process and this movie it might be one of the best things that sandler has done since uncut gems like it's got a lot of heart to it um and sunny is really really great like i think that she has a bright future ahead of her and uh this is one of those nepotism things that really might work hmm all right well i do like adam sandler stuff and i i mean it, it we, he's grown up so much from mm-hmm. right some of the old stuff and uh, it goes to show his true talent um, <laughs> next on the list on streaming, we're going to Alaska with Star Wars. I started hearing whispers of Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. What happens when we find Thrawn? Power. Such as you've never dreamed. Oh. It's not Ahsoka. Ahsoka. As in Disney Ahsoka Plus, you can watch Star Wars Ahsoka. Ahsoka, which is about Ahsoka Tano. Bless you. Um, a Jedi that's living in the fall, uh, the fallout of the collapse of the Galactic Empire. And I mean, yes, this is another Star Wars series, but this one feels so ingrained and dr- pointed directly towards the deep fans who have like watched everything who've gotten to the clone wars gotten to rebels gotten to the whole lore even played through like the video games like knights of the old republic because this series is making all of that stuff and all of that cool jedi stuff that we all loved actually like canon within the star wars universe rosario dawson was like born to play this role she is so perfect in this one and the casting around is just incredible including the the recently passed away ray stevenson who plays a jedi that crossed over to the dark side which is such an interesting conflict to get into and um a lot of people are calling the first couple episodes which are already out right now a little bit of a snoozer but I really am interested in what it's all setting up and I really dig the character work in it. So I'm calling Ahsoka right now a hit. Is there too much Star Wars? I mean, I feel like it's impossible to follow at this point there. It's they've, they've taken Star Wars and turned it into this Marvel thing. That's just, there's so much and it's hard to step into now. There always was though. There was always books. There was always comics. There was always video games. Like this stuff always existed. And now that it's on a streaming service and you're seeing commercials for it, it, it becomes too much. It, it, it's like, well, no, this was always here. The, the fans always knew that this was here. So now this is just trying to bring it to a broader level to maybe invite new people in. But if you don't want to join the party, then don't come into the party. You know what I mean? All right. What about people? It's hard to start, I guess, for the people that aren't fans. They just like the movies because it's in space, I suppose. Um, there are simple movie viewers that aren't, uh, you know, deeply ingrained in everything. They're just like, I think stormtroopers are cool. Let's watch it. You know, you know, no one's yeah. stopping them from watching it. Just like no one's forcing them to. 
go deeper. It's possible. All right. Um, what else should we watch this weekend? Steve Stebbing. We've also got Invasion on Apple TV. This is our enemy. Together, we will win this war. The aliens somehow connected us. This is our last chance for survival. All right, Steve, tell us about it. Yeah, this is uh, one of those Apple TV shows that feels like kind of like a transplant from maybe another network, like a sci-fi network or something. Um, but And I was kind of surprised that it got a season two because the slow burn to it, I didn't think would really catch on with audiences. But the cast is what it really gets me because Sam Neill is in this one, who is a character actor that I've loved for decades now and uh gold shifter for hani uh who's just in the chris hemsworth film uh, extraction 2 um but basically this is about a global alien invasion that's a little more subtle and a little more body snatchery um but it's uh <laughs> kind of it, it shows the story unfold through five different people from around the, the world so it's kind of an interesting multifaceted look at uh, different walks of life being affected by this. Uh, the most interesting one to me is Sam Neill, who's like a retiring small town sheriff who sees the invasion on the ground and then get, becomes part of it. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's not a show that's getting a lot of, that got a lot of press. So uh, I, it's a quick watch uh, for the first season. And yeah, as of tomorrow, season two will be up. Okay, we only have a real quick time here, but I want to get to it because Bueller is back in 4K. They bought it. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Bueller. Cameron Dave. Get dressed and come on over. Bueller. He has been absent nine times. Okay, so that's um, interesting. Um, after watching the, uh, the Purdue show on Painkiller, but uh, it, it's 10 or 15 seconds, if you don't mind, Ferris Bueller, one of the best of all time, is back. Absolutely. This is John Hughes ap operating on one of his highest levels, uh, probably one of the greatest high school uh, films of all time, and getting a little bit of resurgence because it's uh, kind of referenced in the new Teenage Ninja Turtles movie. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with so, uh, songs that make you ponder? Oh boy! Oh. Welcome to the end of the week. Stories that make you ponder. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Are you okay with good timing? Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I. I hate being late. So my biggest pet peeve is I mm -hmm. even if I'm five minutes late it drives me absolutely insane. So I try to always have good timing. Hmm. Very well done. Yeah, good timing. I, I like good timing. I like to think that I I'm able to um, have the good timing when I do things like you know pull up to Costco and there's one spot by the front door. You know, I like that. I like to feel like I'm in I'm in the vibe. I'm in the flow. You know, to have good timing. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan, but I have to do this. It's Friday. Did I, you see I, it? I, just do it. You see it though? No, I don't have it in the script in front of me. I'm just. Oh, you I'm don't just, really? No, no. I'm just. I'm. I'm in this story. 
in they're always except reading it directly in front of me. Mm. Computer says not. <laughs> it's okay. So I said when we started this, um, that's a typo. Uh, I said, are you okay with, uh, you know, it's some uh, songs that make you ponder. Yeah. Okay. The whole premise of this is, are you okay with? Seems okay. Let's start again, John. We're going to play the bed thing. You ready? T, you okay with... That's look okay, fair enough. But look, the first R and T are beside each other on the keyboard. That's yeah. just a that's a typo waiting to happen. No, no, you can't yeah. use that excuse in real life, right? You'd like oh, walk on. up to Laura and you know you kiss the girl next to her, and you're like, you were side by side. It's a mistake waiting to happen. Okay, fair enough. Point taken. <laughs> All Point right. taken. An Ontario bride-to-be may have had the best timing anyone could ask for. Sarah Hempinska spent two years planning her wedding, but whether it would go ahead remained uncertain until the very week of the event with the bride in a coma. Kapinska had routine surgeries to remove growths in her airways as part of treatment for an autoimmune condition. Her surgeries, which were handled by her primary care team outside of London, um, typically see her discharge from the hospital the very same day. Well, soon after her procedure, Kapinska could tell something wasn't quite right. She arrived back in London. She was struggling to breathe and ended up going to her emergency. And it was putting a cutting close to the wedding. I was uh, rushed in. I came in with my sister and my fiance, and it all happened very quickly. Everybody was so fast to respond. Just steps away is where I usually work, and I see this happening to other people, but it's very difficult when you're actually the family member involved. I was placed into a medically induced coma, but I was actually about to get married. So there would be some moments in the day we thought, there's no way this wedding is going to happen. But then we would kind of regroup as a family and think, well, let's, you know, put the hope out there. Less than two weeks away when I was put into the coma, and then by the time I woke up, it was about five days away. They knew when I woke up that I would still want to get married. We made it to the wedding, which was wonderful. You could tell how genuinely caring the healthcare workers were that took care of Sarah. And everybody stepped in. The staff were so wonderful. They wanted to get me to that wedding. It was one of the uh, happiest days of my life to be able to watch that happen. Aw, how about that? Right. Great story. Good timing. Uh, courtesy of London Health Services sent in that video, by the way. Kapiska was released from the hospital on May 30th, married on June 3rd. She required some assistance, but was able to walk down the aisle and even dance a little bit. One nursing staff member even wrote a letter that was put in an envelope stating her uh, stating not to read until her wedding day. Kapinska says there is no cure, but she's lucky to have teams of doctors monitoring her situation. She added that she's just finished another treatment that appears to have gone well. She's happily married and feeling good. I think that's um, I think it's pretty great. It's good time. I um. Hmm? Lucky, I would say. Very lucky, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, nerve-wracking. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking it would be um, to be going in and knowing you're going into a coma um, or, you know, to deal with it? And you're like, uh, we're going to put you to sleep for a little while. I have to get married. Right. 
I think that sucks. But she made it, which mm-hmm. is cool. She did. Are you okay with chew toys? Not for me. Chew- for the dog? No, no. It just I, I get the dogs love them, but the sound of a dog chewing on the squeaky toy or a bone, like the sound of the crunch, I, it's just it it is repulsive to me. I can't do it. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Probably because I didn't grow up with the dog. <laughs> Never had that as a kid, so my tolerance is very low for it. I find that uh, the dog sounds like when my dog eats food. I have a really hard time with that. The mouth noises. Yep. Yeah. Come with that. Uh, Harlow has taken to uh, a couple of to- all of her toys out of the blue. Like she doesn't touch her toys in months, and all of a sudden she took all of her toys to my daughter's bed, and now sleeps on them like she's nesting. It's weird. Hasn't touched them. She must take the monkey. Everywhere she goes. My old dog was like that, though. We used to go to the pet store, and he had a Best Buy guy. Remember the Best Buy price tag character? Yeah, he used to carry that around everywhere he went, which was funny because he was uh, like a Great Dane, and so the toy was big, but the, the toy was about the size of his mouth, so all you saw was these arms and legs hanging out of his mouth when he carried it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, imagine coming home from work. Uh, with a vacation just around the corner, only to see your dog chewing on some paper. But that paper isn't your homework, unfortunately. This is in high school, friend. That's your passport. Donatel, uh, Donato Fratorelli and his fiance Magda Masri went to Boston City Hall on Thursday to fill out their intention of marriage forms ahead of their planned wedding on August 31st in Italy. And this is where the Golden Retriever gets a little action. Hours later, their worst nightmare unfolded at their home in South Boston, where Chicky, the couple's one-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever, chewed through multiple pages of the groom-to-be's passport. Now, apparently, the couple is reaching out to state officials, trying to get help. I'm just a little stressed. Um, Luckily, you know, uh, Congressman Lynch's office and Senator Markey's office have been super responsive. They've been in touch um, at least with me in the State Department to try to uh, expedite things and help me get a new passport. Keep my fingers crossed and hopefully everything will uh, work itself out. Okay, so the couple is set to say I do on August 31st. Get this, in Italy, and they're scheduled to believe in just six oh days. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so that's from WCVB, by the way. The good news, he was given an emergency appointment at the Boston Passport Agency. Frateroli was originally told the earliest he could get a passport appointment would have been Thursday in Atlanta, less than one day before his flight to Italy departed. But he said Monday morning that he was able to secure an emergency appointment with the Boston Passport Office. He said he expected to leave his Monday appointment with a new passport. He confirmed on Facebook the situation has all worked out. The dog has gone missing and no one's seen it since. <laughs> That's pure panic mode. And it's like, it's a, of course, a golden retriever would do it. I'd be very mad at the dog, but then you're kind of mm-hmm. like, forget about it. And you're not mad at the dog anymore. You're more like, how the heck did it get to the passport? Well, the passport must have been on the table. Something like that, right? Yep. So, uh, but can you imagine the panic? No. When you see that. No. And, you, and the oh heartbreak. My God. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, my dog has chewed a lot of things. My dogs over the years have chewed mm-hmm. a lot of things. I think they get better as they get older. I mean, my one dog that I had, you know, she chewed pop cans. That couldn't have been great. Ooh. Yeah. 
Um, when I was married, that dog also chewed every right-hand shoe of uh, my ex-wife. Just one shoe only, of the pairs. Only your ex-wife, not your shoes. Not my shoes, no, of course not. <laughs> okay, um, interesting. And, uh, and, you know, and ate insulation out of the walls, which I don't recommend, by the way, because uh, it actually came out of her tear ducts when after doing it. I mean... It's a bad feeling when it, your blue leather couch, the back is gone. So, dogs will, dogs do that. Wild. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 